Podcast One. Welcome to Listen Able. It is our podcast that Dylan and I host back for nearly, we're a year old now. Happy one year, my brother. Happy one year, mate. And it's our anniversary. What did you get me? I did uh, an incredible guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, actually, we will be very thankful after this. But um, this podcast, obviously, is for everyone. It's inclusive. It is about the world of disability, people who are living with or affected by it. And today's guest, I mean, when it comes, I think we have said it before, but I have to cancel what I've said before to recorrect myself to say this is the most requested guest. Requested five times a week? Easy. To the point where uh, we had to put out like a, to the world that we wanted this person to come on. Yeah. And then I actually was just on her Instagram and then her partner's Instagram and realised he followed me. Oh. And so I followed him back. I could have went that way. <laughs> but instead we went, we zigged, we, we zigged and zagged, zagged and tried, tried to find her and finally she uh, is going to be on the snowball. And we put a little teaser up uh on our, on our Instagram as well. We did. Yeah, we put an Instagram post up and uh, just so people could stop with the requests. Like, <laughs> she's coming. It's locked in. And we're very excited uh, to let her introduce herself. Hello. It is Emma Carey. I, I don't know what to tell you about myself because we're about to dive into it, but I'm from the Goldie, 27 years old, and a lot of my friends are absolute huge fans of your show. Really? Oh, that's yeah, what I, yeah, that's a great way to start. Yeah. They were the ones that were telling me to oh, get in contact with you guys. Very nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks to them and thanks to everyone who has requested you. Probably getting close to 100 requests, I would say, mm. um, to have you on M. Uh, what well, is I your disability? Uh, so I have a spinal cord injury. Um, so the technical term would be incomplete paraplegic. Okay, nice. We'll delve into, you know, your story and that pretty soon. But I've got to ask you. You are like a, a big deal online. You have some big people that follow you. You know, what, what was that change like for you now being in the public eye? And one thing I really like about your Instagram as well is nothing is, you know, off limits. You really delve into your life, which is a great thing. And we're going to do that as well. Um, but was that like a bit of a change for you to able to do that? Uh, to be honest, I genuinely don't feel that at all. So when I first started using Instagram, it was just like a diary for me. So I love to write. And ever since I had my accident, I've just written huge paragraphs, basically diary entries about whatever it was I was going through and started sharing them on social media. I have no idea how that came to be, but I just started doing it. And because in the beginning there was no one following me, I was just so upfront and honest with whatever I was feeling. Mm. And it just hasn't changed ever since. I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't see the point to be anything but open and honest and vulnerable with what I'm going through. So... It is interesting because Instagram can be a vapid little society where, you know, people mm-hmm. only post the greatest photos of themselves and pretend the world's amazing. But I have always treated it like a modern-day photo album. So our parents have those sleeves with old Polaroid pictures. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I, I, I'm a dad now. For me, it's, you know, passing. My daughter's going to look in 10, 15 years and go, oh, my God, Dad, Katy Perry who's probably an ancient artist now, you once met her. It's like a modern day, you know. <laughs> Katy but, of all the people to come in your head, you went with Katy Perry? I don't know. Is Katy Perry still going to be making music, pop music by the time my daughter can appreciate it? I would have went with Harry Styles personally. Okay, that's You've a You've met Harry Styles. You should have definitely hey, gone with on, he's Harry got his, Styles. He's got his, there's a 
chat for another time. He's got his phone number. Like they're they're proper Are phones. You? It's a, I think it's disconnected. It was a very old phone number. <laughs> you don't know what your Instagram's going to be. For, so for yeah. me, I just treated it like a, a photo album. And for you, you've treated it like a diary entry. Like an, yeah. I found that really interesting. Yeah, it's so true. Because when, when I go back and look through it, which is very rare that I look through my own, but it's so nice to read things that I've written years ago that mm. I probably would have forgot otherwise. We said at the start how many times you've been requested. How does that make you feel to know that people really want to hear from you and that you have such a big supporter base? I feel honoured. And to be honest, when you guys first asked me to come on here, I was reluctant. And this is what I said to my friends, only because, to be honest, out of any group of people that I feel most nervous talking to, it's the disability community. Because a part of me, and I know this is just in my own head, but I think because I have healed so much, as we'll get into, I kind of feel a little bit of guilt for that. And I wonder if I'm still, I don't know, welcome to speak but more so I just wonder, like, what do I have to offer mm. um, that, and, you know, and I've listened to a few of your episodes as well and I'm like, wow, these people are going through such things that I can't even fathom and I just wonder if I have anything to offer in that realm. And I know I do, but I think it's just something that in my head I, I get a bit nervous about it. Did you uh, subscribe and write a comment because it really helps the <laughs> algorithm when you listen? I didn't know you could subscribe to a podcast. Hey, subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> well, I don't listen to very many podcasts. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they work. It's very true and it is something we are going to go into depth about because technically you have, you're the same as Dylan. You're an incomplete paraplegic. However, mm-hmm. you live two very different big lives. Yeah. Uh, let's find out how about the accident itself and yep. hear from your story. So I was only 20. And before my accident, I was kind of, well, I'll set the scene. I was just working all these random jobs, saving up for like a gap year. I was going to travel for the year. Um, But who I was as a person, I wasn't very, I wasn't a positive person, I'll say. I was someone who kind of just took everything for granted and didn't, just didn't appreciate what I had and wasn't really filled with any kind of joy. I was just kind of going through the motions and I don't feel that way at all now. And I don't relate to that person at all, but it's even weird. I feel like there's a distinct before and after in my life from that day. And sometimes I even find it hard to remember the person I was beforehand. Wow. Did you know anything about disability or anything pre your accident? Not not at all. Mm. Not at all. And I think that's why when it happened, which we'll talk about, but I was, I was so scared because I didn't have anyone to look to for, you know, inspiration or guidance. I didn't, I didn't know anyone or anything about it. So I was in Switzerland. I was on the said gap trip and I'd I'd always wanted to skydive. And for some reason, I'd always wanted to skydive in this particular place in Switzerland. Don't know why I'd never been there before, but I just had it in my head that that's what I wanted to do and wasn't nervous for it or anything because I was just like loved stuff like that, adrenaline junkie. So we did it. I did it with my best friend, Gemma, and she absolutely was hating the whole experience. I forced (laughs) her into it. So thank God nothing happened to her. (laughs) Um, but anyway, we did the jump and I was absolutely loving it. Like, have you guys done it? Well, funnily enough, I've done the exact same company that you have. It's in in Yeah. 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 So jumping out of the helicopter, uh, you were on a top deck tour. Yeah. Top deck. It's actually, oh wow. It's funny how many people from Australia have done it there. Hey, because the Kentucky and top deck trips, they all go through there and they all do it with that company. So Emma, you could not pay me enough money to skydive. Really? I, I like, because- I'm, I'm like a, I'll try everything kind of guy, you know, but I just have no desire to do it because just so much can go wrong. I don't think this story is going to help. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll be locked into that view <laughs> after you hear this. <laughs> but yeah, so but funnily for, enough, when yeah. I heard your story, I was like, wow. And I text my, my, my best mate, Matt Poole, who I did it with. And yeah. 
I went, wow, mate, this happened on the exact same trip. And he sent a photo of him on the day and he goes, would we go back and change it had we known about this? And I said, I think we would have. Mm. Was it before or after me, I wonder? Um, so yours, yours was seven years ago? Yeah. I would have been, I reckon, the same time. Oh, wow. That's yeah. scary. That's interesting. Well, you got to tell us what happened. Okay, but first of all, I'd just like to say anyone wanting to skydive, not against skydiving, you should still do it. Because as I was falling, I just remember thinking it was the most amazing feeling I'd ever felt, loved it. And I remember thinking I'm going to become a skydiver. That's how much I loved it. Mm. That was until, um, so the instructor taps you on the shoulder when they're going to pull the chute. And so he tapped me on the shoulder. So I knew it was coming, but then nothing changed. We didn't slow down at all. He didn't give me any other signal. And I could kind of feel a jolt, but we didn't slow down after the jolt. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I could also feel like my hair get ripped backwards. And I was like, why does no one warn you that it hurts when you skydive? Like, why does no one warn you that your hair gets pulled out? So anyway, we're still falling. And because I'd never done it before, I had nothing to compare it to. So I didn't immediately think, oh, something's wrong. It actually took me quite a while to realise that. But and so he wasn't I, communicating. Can you hear him talk? Is he that close? Or yeah, well, he I could hear him before that during the fall. But so that's one of the reasons that I figured out something was wrong. So I was way I was yelling out to him. I was like, "Are we good? Like, when's mm. when are you pulling the parachute?" And he wasn't answering at all. And I was like, "Okay, maybe it's just like the wind, and I can't hear him." Um, and then I I've seen videos of it where you obviously like sway to the side and you slowly glide down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hey, we're still going straight down." And then the moment when I did realise was when I saw our parachute in front of us tangled up in a ball, not at all above us and not at all open, not even looking like it could open, literally just tangled up in a ball. And I was like, okay, something's definitely wrong. And then the closer we got to the ground, um, I was like, even if it was to open, surely there's not enough time for it to slow down. So I just I just realised the speed that we were going and how close the ground was, I was like, oh, we're, we're about to hit. Like, this is it. And I was just in complete and utter shock because I, I didn't even have any fear going into the skydive. It didn't cross my mind that something could go wrong. I mean, something's got to change, though. There's There's got to be some parachute. The second chute flies. Exactly. So, so what happened, and I didn't realise this at the time, um, but basically there's two parachutes in the backpack. And just, I didn't mention this before, but this is tandem. So the instructor's in control and yeah, I had nothing to do with it. So I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how skydiving works. But there's two parachutes in his backpack. There's the one which comes out when he pulls it. And normally that's all you need. But there is also an emergency one in there that comes out automatically when you reach a certain altitude, only if the other parachute isn't out for whatever reason. Yeah, so he's got an altimeter, I think it's called, on his wrist and it's yes. an auto-deployment. But also that second chute is not the same as the first chute. It's smaller, it's, no, I guess. It's smaller and there's no manoeuvrability. There's no sway inside the side. It's just meant to get you to the ground Okay. Semi-safe. Yeah, yeah. So two different shoots. And what happened was um, my instructor pulled our parachute too late. And at the time that he did pull it, happened to be the exact same time that the emergency chute was coming out automatically. And so because oh it was God. the same ta- time, they got all tangled together. <gasps> and as they were coming out and tangling, the cords actually wrapped around the instructor's neck and strangled him. So he was unconscious for the entire fall, which explains why he wasn't answering me, explains why he couldn't untangle them or why he couldn't cut one shoot off or whatever they would normally do in that situation. So, he, yeah, he was completely unconscious and the, the shoot was completely 
not doing anything. So, and I, but because I didn't realize he was unconscious, I, I was in the beginning kind of waiting for him to, mm. to, to do something. But then when we got to the closer, I was like, nah, this, this is it. Did he survive? Yeah, he survived. Oh my um, God. I have absolutely no idea how he survived being strangled by the weight of a parachute, but he, he was very injured upon landing as well. I'm pretty sure he's okay now, but yeah, he survived. Something must have in that moment with the parachute come out a little bit to give you some sort of, you know, speed reduction to, to get no. to the ground. So I have no idea scientifically wow. how we survived. So yeah. what? Absolutely no idea. So you just hit the ground. What did you hit? Yeah. What did you land um, on? So we landed in a field. So we're in the Swiss Alps, just on this grass field. Um, but right next to us, probably like two metres away, was a big bitumen road. So super lucky, first of all, that we didn't land on the road. Also lucky that we didn't land in any of the cliffs or trees or rivers yeah, or anything that's in the Swiss Alps yeah. because we didn't land where we were supposed to. We were, I think, a kilometre from where we were meant to be. So we could have gone any direction. But the people on the ground could see that you were changing direction and they chased you down or did... No. So when I landed on the ground, I landed on my belly and the instructor landed on top of me. Oh and God, he man. was... Yeah, and he was still unconscious. So in my mind, I thought he was dead. So I was like, okay, it's up to me here to go and get help. So when I was like looking, I was pinned down by him, but I was kind of using my neck to look around and I was like, there's absolutely no people around. And also we're in the middle of the Swiss Alps. How are we going to get found? And so I think how it how it worked out in the end was I was Gemma, who I was skydiving with, they jumped after me and her instructor must have seen it happen and followed us down. Oh, so yeah. until they got there... We were just alone. There was no one around. Did you not fall unconscious when you landed? No. How that's the, that's the, the wildest F thing. Did you stay about conscious? It. That is I know. Don't know. Awake for the whole thing. And you knew lack of sensation straight away, or yeah, no. So it was in that moment where I was where I realised there was no one around, and I knew I had to go and get help. And when I tried to um, roll over to first of all roll him off me mm. and tried to stand up, that's when I realised, and that was the moment where I was like. I, I just couldn't understand at first because, as you said, I was awake for the whole thing. So how could I suddenly go from being able to walk and being able to do mm. anything and feel my entire body to literally the next second not being able to even wriggle my toes? I couldn't even use my abs to, to roll to get him off me. It was the weirdest, like most inexplainable feeling. Mm. teammate of mine who I went to the wheelchair basketball world championships, Michael D'Amelio, was skydiving in the Swiss Alps with the same company, and the instructor landed on him the same as you. What? Used him as a pillow and he broke his back complete T6. And he's in a wheelchair, same company. And he was for years trying to get a payout for negligence and he eventually got it. And I said, when you get your money, you owe me a $10,000 day because it was a bit uh, of just partying in the city. Still waiting for my ten thousand dollar day. <laughs> he uh, put it towards his kids' education, which is probably better. But probably, I was probably oh, I mean, selfish. But well, was the company liable for that with you? Yeah, okay. yeah, be because the instructor admitted and it was found that he was at fault. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, we like to talk about the whole process of healing, I guess. And so, yep. with that, um, there's obviously emotional scars and physical scars. To this day, do you hold some sort of resentment towards yeah. that instructor? Um, to be honest, not for, I spoke about this recently actually, but I don't feel any resentment for the actual accident itself. Like we're all human accidents happen. And in a job like that, it just happens that if you do make a mistake, it could be deadly or it yeah. could be life changing like it was for me. Mm. So the actual incident itself, no, I feel fine about that, but it's more so how he's handled it afterwards, yeah. which I'm not. Yeah. 
yeah, I feel like if people uh, can own up to their mistakes and they can, you know, I don't know, just be human and decent about it, yeah. then that's okay. But it's the the handling of it, which kind of still makes me mad sometimes. What do you mean by that? Were they not apologetic? Did they try and fight it in court? What happened? No, never. I've never got an apology. No way. I feel like there's a lot I could say about it, but I don't know yeah. if I'm actually allowed no, no, that's fair to enough. talk about it. Yeah. Um, but. One thing that I, I love about being disabled in Australia is we have great doctors and if something happens, we're in a good place. Yeah. Got, could not be anything more scary, I imagine, than breaking your back in another country. Mm. So yes, that pro- at first. At, but, yeah, so what was it like for you? Yeah, well, at first terrifying because I everyone was speaking Swiss German. Mm. So as I was laying there, uh, we had to wait for an emergency helicopter to come. And once they did come, it was still a whole big process of, I, I feel like I was on the ground for hours, wow. hours, genuinely. Um, and so the people that were around me then, I was just, I was hysterical, obviously, because I just couldn't wrap my head around such a big change in such a short amount of time. Mm. So I was just asking questions like, will I be able to walk again? Like, that's mm. all I kept saying. And I couldn't get an answer because no one was speaking English. So it was very scary at first to just have absolutely no idea what was happening. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me in my head that I'd broken my back. Like I didn't know at all what had happened and no one could give me answers. So that was terrifying. But I will say once I actually did get to hospital and my family flew over and I had people that I could talk to and there were English speaking doctors and nurses Mm -hmm. in the hospital, it was actually probably the best place in the world to be. Switzerland is amazing and the medical system was absolutely phenomenal. So it was, yeah, like... Probably one of the best places you could be. Not good in a war, it, but great when it hey, comes to... It <laughs> hey, created Roger Federer. Oh, God. That's a good oh, thing. Not everything comes thing. back to tennis. Still. I mean, let's try and make it like that. <laughs> okay. So can we talk about the support that you had in that moment? Because you are hysterical. Um, you know, you, you said you can move your neck around to have a look, but apart from that, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much confusion. So can you talk about how much of a, uh, how much Gemma was? What was she like in that moment? Yeah, she was amazing. So she just even though she was feeling the same fear and like there was no one that she could talk to either, she just totally took control of the situation and just handled it so well. And she randomly got someone that was walking past phone, somehow knew how to call Australia and called my mum so I could talk to my mum. No idea how she did that. And she she was speaking to uh, the the helicopter people and she even somehow forced herself to get on the helicopter with me, which was amazing Mm because they said no one had ever been able to come on a helicopter with the injured person before and she somehow talked her way into that. So, yeah, she was a great support. And I remember also there was a policeman that arrived there before the helicopter or anyone and I was just holding and squeezing his hand so much and I found so much support in him, even though we literally never spoke a word to each other. Wow. It's amazing how someone can be that for you and I have no idea who he is, no idea what he looks like. I'll mm-hmm. never see him again, but isn't that cool? Yeah, it's cool. Like, yeah. So how, how long did you spend in Switzerland before getting – did you get medivaced back to Australia? So I was in Switzerland for – I think a month. So I, when I got to hospital, I went straight into surgery. I broke my pelvis as well as my back. So they operated on both of those. And then three days later, I had another surgery on my back. And this time they had to go in through the side. I don't really understand why. But in order to get to the spine from the side, they had to collapse one of my lungs. And apparently you can't fly for a month 
after that because oh. they have to, I don't know. I think it's because um, the lung. Yeah, breathing's important on the plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, something like no, but that. The pressure would definitely, oh, definitely affect yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So after that, then I could fly home. And it was weird. It was a regular flight, like Emirates or whatever it was, but a regular flight, although they took down a lot of the seats in the middle and I was on a bed and I had a doctor and a nurse with me and like, um, what do you call the air? Oh, an air hostess? <laughs> Um, no, Cabin crew. Like the air that goes in your nose. Oxygen. Oh, oxygen. Oxygen. Yeah. That's, uh, I've heard of that before. Pretty crucial. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. was going to call it you gas, but air. it's not. Imagine that, just feeding you gas. Yeah. That would have been nice. And then I can, uh, yeah, yeah, but I had. Yeah, Nitrous yeah. oxide on the yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I had that as well. So as odd as the experience was, I wasn't having a good time emotionally, but it was really nice to be able to lay down for yeah. the entire flight. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. And then straight into rehab in, in Australia? Yep. So then I went to Sydney. I was living in Canberra, but there was no spinal ward in Canberra. So I had the next three months in Sydney, Uh, went into a spinal ward and stayed in there. Yeah. Stayed in there for the next three months doing rehab, which I actually personally loved the whole experience of. I know that a lot of people, that was a really bad time for them. And obviously I think the component that I was, I was starting to heal while I was in there added to that. But I just found the nurses, the doctors, the physios and everyone else, I just thought it was amazing. And it was amazing to be around people that were going through the same thing as well. What was your diagnosis when you came out? Did doctors say you'll walk again? It was a successful operation? No. So, well, the operation was successful, but I'm pretty sure that's just to stabilise the the spine. spine. So it doesn't cut any more of it. Yeah, exactly. But so they'd said that I was an incomplete paraplegic. And basically what that means is that the spinal cord wasn't completely severed. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, I guess, squashed is more how you would put it. Well, I mean, the compact of just the accident itself, of course. Well, we'll get into this because I was saying to this Angus off air before we chat, easily the most annoying thing in the world to me about my disability when people have a few beers and they come up and go, hey, mate, I know what you're going through. I broke my back once. Oh and look God. at me, I'm running around, right? Yeah. And I yep. go, brother, you didn't break your back. You broke a vertebrae. Your spine yep. didn't break. Completely yep. different thing. You wouldn't be Very walking around. Very different to the cord. Yeah. Correct. So For sure. when oh. I found out about your story, I looked more into it. I was like, oh, she's not bullshitting giving me the vertebrae chat. You yep. actually damaged your spinal cord. Yeah, and especially now that I – I feel like I'm telling this story in a really bad order because if people don't know, I'm now walking – but especially now that I am walking, I get the same thing a lot too. They're like, oh, I broke my back too and it sometimes get pain, gets painful. I'm like, no, that's that's like the least of my worries, yeah. the pain. Well, like there's still the bladder, the bowel, the, everything else. We'll get to the rehab a bit yeah. and the walking in yeah. a sec. I just got to ask, when you're first, when you first had your accident, you're in rehab, do yeah. you love yourself? Do you hate yourself? Is your life over? What are you thinking? Yeah, so the first, I'm going to say week when I was in Switzerland, I was just absolutely devastated. And as I said, I didn't know anything about the kind of injury. I didn't have anyone to look up to. I didn't, I just didn't know what it meant for me. And I was, I was so upset and so devastated to the point where I thought, and as I said before, I wasn't a strong minded person. I was like, there's no way I can get through this. Like I, I'm not the kind of person that can get through this. So I was just like, no, nah, I like I wish I died. That's how I felt. I was oh, I was so devastated. But then one day, still when I was in Switzerland, I remember waking up and nothing had changed. Like the prognosis was still the same, which as I didn't say before, they they said that I wouldn't walk again. Like they did the surgery and the surgery went well, but they were like, it's still like severely injured and you can't feel anything, you can't move anything, you can't use your bladder or bowel. Like that's probably just how it's gonna be. But one day I just woke up and I was like, okay. I've had this injury and there's nothing I can do to take it back as much as I want to. 
and I can either dwell on it for the rest of my life and let it consume me and be paralysed and depressed or I can be paralysed and try to have a good life regardless and mm. just try try my best to be happy. And if I do happen to get better, then amazing. But I don't want to make that the number one goal of my life. Kelly Cartwright, who is a one-legged amputee, uh, she lost mm-hmm. to the of cancer, and she's a like, really good-looking, uh, incredible athlete. And people always say to her, oh, it's so weird, like, this has happened to you. Mm. Like, it what only, a shame it happened to you. shame it happened to you. Oh, my God. You. I got that yeah. every day. So I'm going to ask yep. that about you because, you know, yep. you are good-looking, you're really well-spoken, you know. I guess the mould of what people think disability is is not mm-hmm. you. So yep. what was the perception of everyone else when they were communicating and talking to you? So when I first got out of hospital, I was still in a wheelchair, obviously, and I would just, the first time I ever, I was so nervous to like get out in the world in a wheelchair because it just, everything seemed so new and so different. And so the first time I did venture out, it was like a really big deal to me. And then I had all these people coming up to me and it was like going out for dinner. So there were people who were like drunk around and people, but people I didn't know coming up and especially guys and they'd just be like, what a shame. Like what a waste that it's yeah. happened to someone so pretty. And I was like, what? first, so many elements what to it. First waste. of all, do you think like what a waste? Like there's nothing good left in me now, mm. me now. And also it just is like what a horrific thing to say that people who are, I don't know, what they consider not good looking, they're more worthy of something bad happening to them. Yep, like so there's stupid. just so many elements to it that just grinded my gears. But, I w- yeah, I would get that all the time. Especially because you've had an accident. Like I've grown up with it, so you mm-hmm. become accustomed to it. But if you've gone from one extreme to the other and you're like, do people actually talk like this? Yeah, it yeah. must be confronting. Exactly. I was like, I didn't know this was how people thought. Like I, mm. I didn't know these people existed, but mm. here we are. But that is that is very true that you learn a lot about a person and not just in that scenario, but in so many different things after having an injury, you really get to know someone who they really are a lot quicker. Oh, did you lose some people, you reckon? Oh, yeah, but I, I definitely, but also in the sense of meeting strangers, like yeah. just the way they approach you or the way they, the questions they ask, the, fo- the what their focal point of wanting to know about you is, it just shows a lot about a person. So you've gone into your rehab with the yep. idea that you're never going to walk again. Yep. When does that change? So still when I was in Switzerland, so within the first month, I could move my feet and legs a little bit. I still couldn't feel anything, but it just... And it's weird, there wasn't like one day where I magically woke up and it was like, I was like, oh, I'm getting better. It was so gradual and slow that it was kind of hard to notice. So there was like a little wriggle of the toe or like I could lift the bottom half of my leg up. And Mm. even as that was happening, the doctors and physios were still saying to me, like, don't get excited. Even if you can move a little bit, you're not going to be able to walk Mm -hmm. or you're not going to be able to use crutches. Like, don't get excited. And then when I did um, get to, so from that stage, I then went to a walking frame when I was strong enough and I basically put all of my weight onto the walking frame and then could kind of drag my legs. And then from there it went to two crutches and I was in two, on two crutches for quite a while. Um, that's how I left hospital, mm. mainly in my wheelchair, but also I could use crutches a little bit around the house. But even at that stage they were like, you're not, like this is as good as it's going to get, like don't get excited, you're still going to be in a wheelchair. Mm. So I, n- I never... I don't know. I never had that feeling of will I get better or will I want – I don't know. I just kind of was really open to whatever happened because there was this day in hospital which I think was really pivotal to me. I'd been in there for a few months and this guy came into the spinal ward and he'd had his accident years before and he was in a wheelchair. And he. we went out to the pub and he told me, he's like, I will never be happy unless I can walk again. 
and he'd had his accident years earlier and it was looking like he wouldn't, that probably wouldn't happen for him. And even though in my head at that point, I'd probably subconsciously thought the same thing when I heard him say it like that, like, I will never be happy unless I walk again. I was like, I need to make sure I don't think that way. Like I absolutely cannot think that way. And even though I wanted to get better, obviously, I was like, I need to make sure that my number one priority in healing, even while I'm in hospital, is mental and emotional. And if I do happen to get better, then that's amazing. But I want to know that I'm okay regardless because I don't want to base my happiness on one one mm. thing that Walk, might not happen. Walking, smoking, I say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Right, yeah. I was overrated. like, that's just, yeah, that's one thing. And imagine basing your entire happiness for the rest of your life on on one specific thing. Um, I think we should just clarify, and this coming from, hey, able-bodied Angus over here, but there will be a lot of people who just come in and tune into this episode, maybe because they want to hear more of your story, maybe because it's just the latest episode that pops up on their feed, et cetera. But um, we should point out what incomplete paraplegic, because mm-hmm. Dylan, you are as well, a lot of, you've never walked, but you can feel feelings. Yeah, there's feet. a d- different level of incompleteness about how much of the spinal cord is damaged. So if you break your spinal cord all the way across, you're a complete paraplegic or quadriplegic from that spot all the way down. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my case, I'll talk on my behalf. Emma, you can do it on yours. Um, I have like a, a lot less than Emma, to be honest. So uh, I have like a little bit left. So I have a bit of feeling, tiny bit of movement. I can have kids, things like that. Luckily for me, some people who are complete uh, will have to only have, they can have kids, but through IVF. So I can naturally try and have them, things like that. Um, uh, but my little bit of spinal cord you damage uh sorry that isn't damage gives me enough to like if i got stabbed in the leg i'd notice if mm-hmm. i sat on a hot pot probably wouldn't mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah. that's me but yeah when you say inc- one big thing to think about disability when you say oh they're both incomplete paraplegic or oh, they're the same it Very is a different. huge different brush yeah. huge breadth and every single person i've met that's an incomplete paraplegic is totally different mm. like there's there's so many different elements that you you could have or you might not have. Like the, it's everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah. See, so, for me, if I was to get stabbed in the leg, I would not feel. Okay. I, oh. So even though my movement has come back incredibly well, which I'm so stoked about, but I, I still, my calves are still paralyzed. So I still walk with a limp and all of the other muscles in my legs and bum are still a lot weaker. Hence why I walk with a limp and can't like run or jump or anything like that. But the movement, I mean, the sensation hasn't come back at all. So I can't feel from from L1, which is where I broke, which is kind of like belly button-ish level. Mm-hmm. I can't feel from there down at all. That, and That's so weird to think like, sorry, I should clarify, I got stabbed in the leg, I wouldn't feel like Angus would. I'd be like, oh, that's a bit weird. Something's what's, what's wrong. I, what's <laughs> I, feel, I feel a bit sick. Oh, hang on, I said I yeah. got stabbed. But that's weird because like I've got no movement, muscle, whatever. Mm-hmm. Weird to think that you've got no feeling but some muscle activation. Yeah, yeah so That's I an found unusual this, combo, yeah? Unusual. Yeah, I found this very interesting and it's the people, I guess the thing people get most confused about, but so a doctor explained it to me and he said that there's two separate nerves. There's the nerve for um, motor and the, mo- and the nerve for sensory. And so just because one is severely damaged doesn't necessarily mean the other one is. Oh. So for me, my sensation is totally damage, whereas the movement was less damaged and it's able to heal a lot better. That's why for, yes, some people, I have some people who can't, friends that can't move at all, yet they have full feeling. It's like, how, how does that happen? Yeah, and so it's because, yeah, they're. There you go, motor neuron disease, things like that. So it affects your motors, not nerves, things like yeah, that. I never thought of yeah, that. I've yeah. never known that as well. Yeah, so my, I must have a little bit of the nerve where you can still feel, but my movement side would be cactus. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, it's so interesting. And then for me as well, I so there's the bladder and bowel element, and for that, for me, they're both completely like completely gone, not nothing at all. Would you give up the walking to have full functioning bladder and bowel? No, nah, which is Ooh, interesting because I know yeah, I like I, this space. Yeah, I ask this question to all of my friends that have yeah, whether they're paraplegic or quadriplegic. I'm like, what is the one thing that you'd want back? And everyone says, tell me if it's the same, everyone says bladder. Oh, bladder, it, yeah, it's nightmare. Bladder yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just so used to um, catheters and enemas now. I, I honestly don't remember how it feels to pee normally or to be able to just sit down and, yeah, mm. pee, pee now. Like I, I don't remember how you do it. Um, and I'm, I'm very used to, yeah, very used to using catheters and as well as the fact that I don't know how this happened, but about a year, no, even less than a year after my accident, I just got so comfortable with the fact that I pee myself every single day. Even if I'm using catheters, I'll have accidents all day, every day. And I don't know how I got this confidence about it, but I'm so glad I did. I just do not care at all. There's stuff you can, like meds you can do to, to help prevent that. I've I've tried a lot. Yeah, you are just a very Let's chat confused Let's right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> She's got a secret potion. You are going to be yeah. killing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I've had a lot of different. I'm telling you, um, Vesicare, get on it. Yeah, <laughs> I've tried. And okay. Botox? Have you done the Botox? I did the Botox, yeah. The Botox yeah. and that. Yeah, yeah Botox it didn't work good. for me. Oh. Yeah. Get, get, anyway, we can Once again, well horses for different courses. Usually we do a bowl of uncomfortable, M, which is at the end of the podcast. It's a question yep. that's sent through from people who are listening to our podcast and want to know more about a story. But I'm going to break the mold uh, because we're in the space where... I was very excited for this part because I love awkward things. There you go. This <laughs> is the bowl of uncomfortable. It comes from our Instagram. It's Jasmine Violet. Thanks for your question, Jasmine. She's a fan of yours. Follows you as she says here. Hey, Em, my question is, do you ever get nervous when you leave the house that you'll lose control of your bowels or bladder? I know I have the same health condition, but with my epilepsy, when I have a fit, I lose bladder control. I'm always worried when I'm out that I'm going to have a fit and wet myself. Hello, Jasmine. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't think that at all. I, I, I think because I know I will. So there's no point worrying about it, or I would literally not ever go anywhere ever because mm. I'd mm. be too scared. So I just accept that is going to happen, and I wear incontinence pads in case anyone was wondering why doesn't she just put on a pad? And <laughs> but even even that is not enough sometimes. So I, I don't know. I just know that if I want to live a life where I can feel free and I don't have to feel anxious every single day, then I need to be fully accepting and okay with it. And I think the easiest way to do that is to be really open with the people around you and not keep it a secret. Mm. Because if, if you feel awkward about it, people feel awkward about it on your behalf. Do you drink alcohol? Uh, rarely. Oh, but, God, yes. once you broke the seal, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> I'm in big trouble when I broke the seal. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. But no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's just pee. Like, who cares? But has there been any, any moments or situations um, where it has been less than ideal that it happened in that time? Any oh funny stories? Yeah, so the pee side of it, who cares, whatever. Yeah. It could just be water. As for when it comes to the other side of it, the bowels, yeah. number two, that is, I guess... I don't find it embarrassing. Well, there has been a time where I've been quite embarrassed, but I find it more so just frustrating because it's more so like you have to have a shower, you have to get changed, you mm -hmm. have to clean up, like you have to leave whatever you're doing to go and deal with it, which yep. I find annoying. But yeah, no, there, there was a time where I was in the middle of Melbourne, CBD, and I'm not from Melbourne, so I don't get there. I don't go to cities very often. I was like, wow, there's a lot of people great, here. Great, great city. And I was walking around and I was by myself and I was walking back to my hotel, which was still like 15 minute walk away. 
And then this very rarely happens this badly, but it just started like dripping down my leg and on the ground. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, what do I do? I was in shock. I was like, oh my God, what do I do? I can't get in a taxi or an Uber because like, I can't. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. It'll be. And so I just had to keep walking to my hotel. It's all I could think to do. And people were like laughing at me, pointing at me, taking photos. I was like, this is going to be on Daily Mail tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was such a weird experience for me because it was so, it was traumatic in the sense that I was just like, what, how, how do I have no control over this? And also because I'm walking, people wouldn't think that there's oh, a shit. reason I for forgot, it. Hang on. True. I just forgot yeah. you're walking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, way so worse. It, yeah, Dylan's thinking in the chair. I'm like, oh my God, you're walking around. Walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. so people. Yeah. Like a people bad Hansel and Gretel story. Yeah. yeah, people would, exactly. People wouldn't think there's a reason for it. So it would be very confusing to see. But yeah, not one person asked if I was okay or if I needed help. And then I had to walk into the hotel and it was like all in the hotel. And I was awkwardly standing in the lift with someone. Like it was just, it was horrific. So that was probably the worst scenario. I'm but so glad you can share that story and look back with a little bit of a smile yeah. on your face. But that would have been tough, the toughest moment at that time. Mm. And wow. yeah, the the only thing I think could do, I was like, okay, just like put your head up and keep walking. Like if someone did come and ask me why it was happening and I told them, they would be like, oh my God, let me help you. Are you mm. okay? So I think just having the internal knowing of like, you're actually really brave for doing this and living like this and being confident enough to go out. So if this is what happens, then like, it's okay. But obviously people looking from the outside don't know that I was thinking like, good on you. I've, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well I'm, done, Em. Good on yeah. you. I've you seen, champ. Been, how, yeah. how well do you walk? Like, well, I know that's hard to describe. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people with, you know, paraplegia who might try and walk and they look a bit penguinish. and I'm like, mm-hmm. it's so slow to get from A to B. Why do you bother? I'm like, walking is overrated. Just get in a wheelchair, your life's better. I honestly have that yeah. opinion, right? Yeah. So how I, well yeah. do you walk now? Um, I wouldn't say I'm too slow in the sense that like if I was to walk down the street with friends, they'd probably only have to walk a tiny bit slower okay. to go my pace. But I, I would say I look drunk maybe. Like I've, that's probably how I would describe it. Like I've got denied from going into bars when mm. I literally haven't had a single sip of alcohol many times because they're like, no, you're drunk purely because of how I was yeah, walking. It happens to a lot of people with cerebral palsy, that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd say, yeah, that's how it looks. But how, as for how it feels, it's, I've, got, I've gotten a lot stronger. The muscles that are still paralysed haven't changed at all, but I think just the muscles that are working, I've been out of strengthen over the years. So I can walk a fair distance now and be okay, but it's just, I guess it's a lot more tiring than it used to be. So I'll have to take a lot more breaks or I'll have to, you know, a stretch mid-walk because it's painful. Do you have like a kilometre limit? Like if you're going a K, you'll bring the wheelchair or are you anti-wheelchair now? Are you no chair? Um, I used to, if I was going to like a shopping centre or something where I knew it'd be a lot of back and forward walking, I'd take my wheelchair for that. And I was actually back in my wheelchair uh, a few years ago for a whole year because I had a injury on my foot. Back with the thing, you know how we were talking before about if you got stabbed in the leg, yeah, you would feel feeling, it? Yeah, Yeah, so I had a shard of glass in my foot, had no idea about it. And then it got super bad. Oh. And because the healing is so slow um, in my legs now, it took a year to heal and I couldn't put any weight on it in that time. So I was in my wheelchair for a year, oh. but I haven't used it since then. So no. Yeah. I think if I know there's somewhere that'll be a really big walk, I'll be more likely to just take breaks throughout. I had a, a huge, you'll like this story, Emma. I had a huge night in a Melbourne nightclub 
It was called Tramp. It was a yucky joint. And I went there. Tramp. A massive one. <laughs> went home and I fell asleep on my laptop. My laptop was charging in my bed. It was my, hot. My kneecap was on my charger. And I like slept for 12 hours and I'm dreaming. Man, my knee's a bit sore. And I oh rolled God. over. My kneecap had burnt off. <gasps> and it took, now, now I've got a big like, big scar. looking like a big tennis ball circle on my kneecap. Yeah. Because it, <laughs> it took a year to heal. Yeah. Like it took yeah. so long to heal. People yeah. don't understand. Yeah. yeah. It's it's mind-blowing. And I don't think the individual knows until they go through it. You're like, oh, I'm sure it'll heal fine. But it is so yeah. slow. Yeah. You have a scar now. I have a scar on my bum from the same thing I started oh, on something well, hot. So, I, look at us <laughs> throwing down on our disabilities. <laughs> um, I can luckily feel my bum a little bit so I know if I'm going to get pressure oh, really? sore. Right? Yeah. But I've got oh, mates, that's very nifty. Uh, a mate yeah. at mine who uh, – he used to play tennis with a guy called Ben Bear. He was younger and he had a pressure when he was 14 and he left it for six months and his bone was popping out because <gasps> he didn't know. Oh. Right? So same as you. And then if you get a little scar, that I mean, you don't sit in a wheelchair all day anymore, but that can be pretty dangerous, can't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And that's why you're told to check like check yourself every night and make sure there's no pressure sore yeah, for me. Shout out to my beautiful partner, Chantel, who I love very much. Yeah. She checks my botsky for me because yeah. I'm a little pressure sore. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so in the process of healing, um, we've talked a bit about the physical healing and the ability to get back on your own two feet and walk. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who believe that you should do the thing that caused you some sort of trauma. Uh, for example, I watched a documentary recently on Mick Fanning, who was obviously attacked by a great white shark. And so what did he, yeah. what did he do? Went to South Australia, jumped in a Calypso charter and jumped into a tank with no the chance. sharks. No vibe yeah. on this. Is there any thought that you would go back, not necessarily to Switzerland, but maybe skydive again? This will be, better be a no. <laughs> well, okay. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is. But basically I used to have that, that same train of thought and I was like, okay, I'll go skydiving again. I felt, I felt a need to do it. And I was like, when I do it, it will close the chapter, move on, happy days. And I used to want to do it with the same guy before I realised oh, no, that wasn't going to happen. I'm looking, yeah, oh, I you look at me, I'm like cringy. I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. You are not going skydiving again. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what helps is knowing that there was a reason it happened. It wasn't a freak accident. There were so many different reasons mm. why it happened and it was human error. So knowing if someone wasn't going to make those mistakes, it would probably be okay. That's why I don't, I don't feel scared of skydiving. But... Anyway, a few years ago, I realized I didn't feel that need anymore. Like I felt like I've kind of closed that chapter in my life and I can move forward and I don't, I don't need to skydive to prove any, anything. Mm. But I, I do feel that if I one day woke up and felt like going skydiving, then I would. But I, yeah, it doesn't feel like a need anymore. It's just yeah. if, if I got that urge, then I would do it. How would your parents have yeah. felt if you said that you wanted to? I don't think I would tell anyone. If I was ever going to do it, I wouldn't tell anyone until afterwards. I would just literally drive myself, do it, and then be like, oh, well. That's good. That's done. Yeah. What about your relationship status? You, you, you're so open about it on your Instagram. You've got a family, things like that. Can you take us into that part of your life? Do you think I have a daughter? Because I don't. No, no, no. Your partner. Oh. But yeah, yeah. His name <laughs> Tom. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. I have a boyfriend, Tommy, but I have, I always post pictures with my niece and everyone assumes she's mine and Tom's daughter, <laughs> but <laughs> she's not. Um, but yeah, so I met Tommy probably two years ago now at the gym and he's been great. Like I, I dated a few people before I met him and I don't know, it just, it was a bit different dating um, when I was new to having an injury. And I don't think it was necessarily that anyone treated me differently. It was more so that I was getting used to being in a new body and I was getting used to 
I don't know, just so many adjustments that I probably made it harder than the actual person did yeah, that I sure. was dating. Hey, yeah. My biggest insecurities as well growing up and same when you have an yeah. accident, you know, partner, relationship, sex, things like that. It's tough to come across. Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, Tommy's been amazing. He's great. Plans on kids? Um, I, I, sure. Like I would love to have kids one day. And also I have no idea how my body would go about that. I I don't know. I get asked that every day. I have no idea. And I feel like I'll just cross that bridge when it comes to it. I I imagine I would be able to and just have a C-section because I, I don't know if I'd have the ability to push. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like that's not on my agenda for the next few years anyway. I've got two areas that I want to play in um, before mm-hmm. we let you go. Uh, one of them is you just said then when you were talking um, about Tom, your partner, mm-hmm. uh, you said injury instead of disability um, when talking about dating life. And mm-hmm. it is something that we did talk about at the top of the show. You feel a, a certain way about you are disabled. Do you not associate yourself with that way? Can you take a Oh, no, I, I definitely do. I, okay. I definitely do. I just sometimes wonder if... So one time I had to give a speech to um, a group of people who all had spinal cord injuries and I was probably the only one walking. Mm. And I, I just wondered if in their heads they were like, you don't know. Like you're not going through what we're going through, even though obviously so many elements I am. I just... And it's probably not even necessarily what they're thinking. It's just my perception maybe there'll be an element of, element of that to be honest yeah. like the one thing about when someone has an accident who's say from where i grew up or the school what happens a hundred people call me and say you have to go see this person they've had yep. an accident right and yep. the person in hospital rehab goes i don't want to see dylan orcott you think i'm going to be a paralympian with a sexologist girlfriend and living this awesome life like that that's not going to be me so they actually resent and that's fair enough too, right? If they mm-hmm. ever want to speak to me, I'll be there in a flash. But I yep. can understand that they push back on that because they might say, one, I'm going to walk again. That guy yep. can't. Or two, I won't live that life. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I get asked the same thing whenever someone's injured. They're like, can you come and visit? And there's a few, I don't know, a few things about it. Like the, fir- the first thing is I will never in my life say this, that like if you do this or you yeah. do that, that's how you can walk false again. Help, because false hope. Yeah, yeah, because people always ask me, and I, I totally get it. Like I would, I would ask the same back when I first had my accident. You just want to know, like, what is it? Like, what's the secret? How did you walk again? Tell me, and I'll do that. And people always say to me, "It's because you are so positive, or yeah. you are so determined, or whatever." And that's all well and good, and I know people mean well, but it's just not the truth. Like it just came down to I think luck and the way that my spinal cord was injured. So I never want to go and visit someone that's going through that and and their family like so desperately ask me like please tell us how you did it and me having to say I like I don't know. You're scoring points with me. Yeah. I love that answer because um, I didn't know you personally and I was hoping, oh, the energy and the mindset. It's like there is an element of that, but there's an but element of like nah. if your spinal cord's cut, you can't walk, right? I or know. whatever it is. So I love hearing yeah. you say that because yeah. that what I have friends now who spent 150 grand in America trying to walk again and yeah. they're all, you know, you can go there, but they might not be, they're a bit scrupulous. They're, they're trying to potentially take your money, but people have that dream and it's from reading things like, oh, you drink green tea and do that three times a day exactly. and you walk. And I'm like, look, that, that unfortunately ruins people's life sometimes because it just might not happen for them. Yeah, I know. And to be honest, that's why I say no to doing mo- most podcasts or things like that because they they always say to me like, I don't know, it's like mindset is key, like teaches about your mindset of how you were strong enough to walk again. And I'm like, come on, mm, like on, I'm yeah. not going to feed into that at all. And yes, I was positive and yes, I like tried so hard in rehab 
but that's like that's not it and I'm mm. never going to pretend that it is because I know that there is a few people who have learned to walk again and when they speak about it, they do public speaking and it's it's all about mindset. Yeah, and I'm like, wanky. come on. Yep. Yeah, I'm like, come on. You can't say that to people. <laughs> and my second part, Em, and the final question that we'll ask you is you talked about the 20-year-old before she jumped in that helicopter in Switzerland and being a bit negative, not knowing, yeah. really knowing her place. Yeah. Obviously, it's a life-changing moment. Mm-hmm. Would you describe it as a life-changing moment for you without the injury itself, for mindset? Oh, my God, I think about this so often. I was thinking about this just yesterday. I'm currently writing a book and I was writing about this very topic. Mm. So do you mean the sense that if I if I got up from that accident and walked away, like, would it still have been life-changing? Would you have Is still that- been the 20-year-old who was... You know, not sure who she yeah. was and a bit glum. Yeah. Or the person you are now, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, what I think has has had one of the biggest impacts in, uh, I guess, the mental recovery for me was the fact that I was awake for the entire accident in itself. And so even though that was so traumatic at the time, the fact that I I felt my, my body go from being totally okay to totally not okay, I felt that without any unconscious moment in between, I think that was so important for me to feel that because I was forced to realise in an instant like how how lucky I was to first of all survive because I saw how close I was to not surviving mm-hmm. and also I felt such a like um, I, I just felt so strongly in that moments afterwards of how lucky I was for my entire life beforehand to be in a body that was completely able and I not once stopped to be grateful for that and I... I I often wonder if people who have woken up, I don't know, a week or so after their accident or they've had an unconscious moment in between, if they don't feel that like overwhelming sense of gratitude for their body and their life that I got to experience during that fall. So I really do think that if I if I got up from that and I wasn't injured, it still would have been such a, a life-changing thing for me to, to be realising in the fall, like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. I don't want to die. I love my life so much. Like right. that was the part that was really that really changed my perspective on everything. If you can go back in time and on that day, would you still jump out of that plane or not? Everyone asks this, don't they? Everyone um, asks me the same question too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like overall my life is much better for it, 100%. My perspective is completely different. I'm a much happier person and my life is just filled with so much more joy in so many ways. Um, but do I, like, would life be easier living without this injury? A hundred percent, like a hundred percent. Even the fact that I'm walking, there's so many things each day that is, it's like there's, there's pain involved and there's frustration and there's a lot of expenses, not to mention, like it would be so much easier to live without, without this disability. But I don't. I still don't think I would change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, you got some splinters with that answer (laughs) on the fence, but but you I like it. I just, I never want to say like, oh, no, I would do it again in a heartbeat and it's all been happy days since then because, yeah. you know, that's that's not how it is. I tell you what's also <laughs> a bit too good for my liking, how good the name of your movie slash book's going to be, The Girl Who Fell From The Sky. That is it, too good. It's so dramatic, isn't oh, but it? But I like, can I be a part of that? Like, I need to be in that movie. It's pretty good. <laughs> I remember when an article was first written about my accident, they called it like the big title on the front of the newspaper was The Girl Who Fell to Earth. And I was like, that's pretty good. And I was mm. like, I can make it no, better. No, you can make that better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have. And I, I read that and I was like, damn it, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Oh, like, I'm good. just so glad it was an exciting way to be injured. You oh, know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> I had a tumour wrapped around my spinal cord. That Yawn. board is batched to better. That's uh, the word I 
what a boring story. Oh. I was I was in hospital with a guy that literally just fell backwards of a chair. I'm like, yeah. oh, that sucks. <laughs> I knew someone who put a foot on a soccer ball and just slipped. Bang. Yeah. Like, that's lame. You got to you got to make up another story if that's yeah. the case. You got to yeah. yeah. At m underscore Kerry on Instagram, mkerry.com. and uh, you should also uh, you're a very talented artist at mkerry designs where you do some really beautiful um, contemporary pieces. Oh, thanks my, so much. My girlfriend I've never heard Emily's anyone like, refer to it as contemporary. Well, my girlfriend <laughs> wants to put a piece in your art because you put it with your frame with that beautiful light wood. It's gorgeous. Are um, you angling for some free stuff here? No, no. Yeah. no People go I pay. Um, <laughs> em, thank you so much for being the most requested person and answering the call. We really appreciate it. Uh, this episode's going to reach a lot of people and I think it's going to do a lot of good. Thank you guys so much. Wait, she lived up to the heart. She really did. And yeah. I hope people are happy now. Stop emailing. You're clogging up the inbox. Yeah, but also I didn't realise that she doesn't do many podcasts because she doesn't trust the way people tell her stories. And yeah, she people want to hear the story. She, tell us how you stood. You know? She's a bit, and it's a bit fraudulent. And I was like, did you see my face? I was like, oh, I love hearing that. It is about hard work, but it is about mindset, but it might just not work for you. Yeah. And that's great to hear. And she was a superstar. How yeah. good was she? She's awesome. Really good. And I know I did say it, but M. Carey Designs, she's a very talented artist. Very impressed. And we've got another superstar coming up in our next episode. You might have heard her voice. High Court Citizens and Soccer Qualifiers. G'day, Naz Campanella with Triple J News. Labour Front Benjamin Penny Wong has accused the Prime Minister of acting like a tin pot dictator over his threats to send opposition MPs to the High Court. You should see Angus's face. That's he wow. is <laughs> losing it. Obviously, that's a behind-the-scenes look. And obviously a very old bulletin because it's all about dual <laughs> yes, citizenship it saga. It is true. <laughs> but people, if that is obviously what you hear, not what people hear. They, of course, only hear yours. And your enunciation of that is oh. so perfect. Having had their life. Um, but I guess if my time is to come, you know, I would just want to make sure that I've given them the best life possible and... My kids are crazy. I just got to give them lots of love and, and encouragement and not give them a reason to be afraid. It's actually one of the coolest episodes when she shows us how she's able to do her work. Her technology is amazing. Yeah, and it just shows how far we've come but how much further we still have to go. And somebody else actually has a crack at her technology. Mm, you have to wait to hear that on the next episode of Listenable. Until then, make sure you're following us on the socials at Listenable Podcast as we try and get to 10,000 followers this year. And make sure you send us a request if you have someone you want us to talk to or if you think you've got a story that people need to hear. We'd love to. Listenable podcast at outlook.com. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listenable.